can turn to Psalm 119 if you haven't turned there already. We're going to read it and then pray and then dive into the sixth section of Psalm 119, part six. Uh, We're going to continue on because it's good um, to just focus on God's word and to see what the psalmist is um, encouraging us with. So we're going to read that together. But I read something in uh, John Stott's commentary this week, um, his commentary on Romans. Um, In chapter 8, a couple verses, he said this for a commentary. He said, these three things we proclaim while we take communion together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We do that every Sunday because we believe Jesus died for our sins, we believe He rose from the grave, and we believe He's going to come back one day. That's what we do when we take this communion together. And I thought that was just a great way to say it. And that's what we do every Sunday. I love it. And I love participating with you all while we do that. But Psalm 119, here we go. Part 6 of this series. This is what the psalmist writes for us. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Let's pray together and then we'll dive into this section today. God, thank you for this morning where we can gather together to worship You, to praise You, to remember You, to proclaim Your Word, and to also listen and hear what You have for us today. Thank You for Your Word and how powerful it is. Thank You for the words that we have written for us from this psalm. Help us to learn and respond to what Your Word has for us today. To be encouraged by it. To be strengthened by it. To be energized by it. And thank You for Jesus who has died for our sins, who's risen And who will come again. Thank you so much for that. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. As a kid, I had hopes and dreams. One of my hopes and dreams was to be a professional basketball player. I wanted to make it to the NBA. I really did. I started when I was in third grade and I always pretended to be Michael Jordan. I always pretended to be all the greats. And I played against them one-on-one, and I always beat them, okay? 
But I always wanted to do that. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. Did that happen? No. In my dreams it happened, but it didn't happen in real life. But I always had that hope and dream growing up. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. You also may have hopes and dreams. Have, did you ever have hopes and dreams when you were a kid or still do? Nobody does? Okay. I still have hopes and dreams. You probably still have hopes and dreams. We do a lot. Um, I read two articles this week, and I'm going to bookend one from the, in the introduction of my sermon, and when I do the invitation, I'm going to bookend these two articles because they help me understand that, yes, there were good articles, but there's something more than the articles say. But one article was from exploringyourmind.com, and this um, website, this I don't want to say company, I don't know if it's a company, but they've been putting out articles for 10 plus years about mental health and how to help with your mental health. And this article is called Why Hopes and Dreams Improve Your Health. It starts off with a few questions and one of the questions was, where would you be without hopes and dreams? And then later on in the article, it was talking about Uh, having life goals. And it says, people with well-defined life goals and who are excited about them seem to have clearer, healthier minds. Thus, hope seems to be the oil that lubricates all the cognitive processes. And then they finish the article. One of them finishes. It says, um, kind of seven things or something to have a healthier mind. And one of them was life goals. And this is what they said about life goals. Treasuring hopes and dreams and finding satisfaction in them help you to lift up your eyes and have hope for the future while also taking care of the present. Now, this article, and as we're going to go through this psalm, you're going to find out that, yes, hope is key. Maybe not necessarily the way they're saying it, but there's another hope that I want us to key in on today. And we're going to find that out in the text. But I do believe that having hopes and dreams, you're going to have a healthier mind. I do agree with that. Because as a kid, I wanted to make it to the NBA and it, I had a clear mind. That's what I'm going to do. Right? You, you have a goal that you're going to accomplish and you're going to strive for that goal. What kind of hopes and dreams do we have? But today, this is your takeaway. There's only one again. Put your hope in the living word. Put your hope in the living word. And we're going to go through this section, Psalm 119. So remember our question for this series is, what do we do with this beautiful book? Okay, And one of them today, put your hope in the living word. And you're going to find out it is the Bible but it's also, spoiler alert, Jesus, okay? The living word, okay? Here we go. Chapter 119, verse 41. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. God's unfailing love and salvation that comes from God is important to the psalmist, is it not? He says... May your unfailing love come to me. Your salvation according to your... So he wants God's unfailing love and salvation to come to who? Himself. Come to me. The psalmist wants that. 
And unfailing love, if you look it up in the Hebrew language, it has to do with in quickening of spiritual life. And if you don't know what quickening means, that means to make alive. So he's saying, God, I want your unfailing love to come to me so I can be alive. Not dead. I want to be alive. So why would the psalmist do that? I just gave you the answer. He wants to be alive. Truly alive. Okay? If you came in this morning feeling down, feeling uh, whatever, and you're like, I need something to help me, well, who do we turn to? God. His Word. His unfailing love. We sang about a lot of songs about God's unfailing love and how He helps us throughout the weeks, right? We sing them every Sunday. We may sing them in, I sing them in my office. You may sing them at your workplace um, while you're mowing the lawn or whatever you do. We want God's unfailing love to come to us, right? To make us alive. That's what the psalmist is saying. And you'll probably know this one by heart, some of you, but God's unfailing love. This is what I thought of. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Make alive. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Who gives life? Jesus. And who sent Jesus? God. Because of what? His unfailing love. And the psalmist is saying, God, I want your unfailing love and salvation to come to me. Do we cry out the same thing? Some people may be crying out right now like, God, I want your love and salvation to come to me. I want it. Do we cry out like that? But I love the transition here to verse 42. The first word is then. Then. (laughs) Do you ever like... uh, Think about something. I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do that. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do... Did you ever do that? So he's saying, the psalmist is saying, maybe like us too, God, may your unfailing love and salvation come to me. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me. For I trust in your word. Because of God's unfailing love and salvation... The psalmist here says, I can answer anybody who ridicules me, who taunts me, who makes fun of me. I can have an answer. And I do have them on the slide today. So you can thank me later, okay? But they're very small. Is that very small? Can you read that at all? Oh, okay. I can't read that, so that's why I have the Bible up here. But this is from 1 Peter chapter 3. This is Peter writing in... He's encouraging believers with this. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 13, and you can follow along on the screen. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Okay, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. 
but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Is the psalmist saying that? May your unfailing love and salvation come to me. Then I can answer anybody who taunts me. Even if I'm suffering for the name of Christ, I know how to give an answer for the hope. And Peter goes on, but to do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What's Peter encouraging Christians who are suffering for the name of Christ, what they will be able to do? They're going to be ready to give an answer for the hope that they have in Christ. That helps me, because I know the future. So if somebody's ridiculing me about Christ or making fun of what I believe, I can say, hey, I have a hope for the future. This is what my, why I do it. This is why I give you this answer, because of the hope I have. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I can answer anybody because of God's unfailing love. He sent Jesus to die for us. So I can give an answer. Who was who here Wednesday night? Did they give some powerful answers of the hope they had in Jesus? Did they? I have the video link. If you want to hear those, they're powerful. They know how to answer people because they went through it. They know where their hope is. Verse 43. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. And this is where I went. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. So the psalmist is saying, Hey, Lord, don't take the word of truth from my mouth. Okay? Because I have put my hope in your laws, your word. And this is from Hebrews. The writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. If the kids were in here, I said, we read a verse with profess, and I said, what does profess mean? And they said it. What does profess mean? You declare it what? Out loud. For he who promises faith. So what do we profess? What hope do we profess? What we did in communion, right? He died. He rose again. He's coming back. That's what we profess out loud. Okay? We declare it. And then another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, Paul writes this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. What kind of glory? Eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So where's our hope? On this temporary earth? On this temporary body that I have that's wasting away? And you could probably attest to it's wasting away, right? Every time I play basketball with younger kids that are in high school still, I'm like, don't get old because I feel everything now. Like every bumps and bruises, I'm like, ow, that hurt. And as, at 18, I didn't feel that, 
okay? But our body is wasting away. But what do we fix our eyes on? What is unseen? What's eternal, okay? That's what the psalmist is saying too. I put my hope in your laws. Don't take this word of truth from my mouth, okay? Verse 44. Oh, I don't want to go there yet. It'll stay up there. Verse 44, I will always obey your law forever and ever. So the psalmist is saying, I am always going to obey your law, God. That's just a commitment to obey God's word. Okay? I challenge, uh, we were talking about the good shepherd, uh, Jesus, in Sunday school with uh, Kez, Theo, and Brooks. And I said, if they were like, the good shepherd leads us on the right path. And I said, well, what is the right path? And I put billboard signs on his piece of paper. Great drawing, by the way. I put billboards on the path. And I said, what are some of the billboards that you're going to see on the right path? And one of them was God's commands. That's what we follow along the right path. And I was like, well, what's a command? And they were like, oh, love our neighbor. Okay, we put that on a billboard. Okay, those are different types of things that we obey. And this psalmist is saying, I am going to commit to obey your law always, forever and ever. Do we have the same commitment? I hope we do. I hope we do. That we have a commitment to obey God's commands, God's word. And then verse 45, it goes on. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. And I went to Romans 8. Romans 8 talks about Freedom in the Spirit. Okay? The law of the Spirit brings freedom. If you are a follower of Jesus, who lives inside of you? The Spirit. And what does the Spirit give us? According to Romans 8, freedom. The psalmist is saying, I walk about in freedom. Why? Because he has God's commands and he's saying, I'm going to obey you, God. And he's following God along the way. Verse 46 comes. And this one is a good one too. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. There's no shame in speaking God's word. This psalmist is saying, even though if I speak before kings... I will not be put to shame. He's going to speak the name of God, and this is one of them. Verse I came across and I was reminded of from Paul. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died, Christ rose again, and he will come. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that's going to bring us to later on when the connection of there's hope and faith together. And we're going to get there later. But you see it there in that from Paul. And then 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. Again, I have to go to my Bible because that's too small for me back there. But 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and this really challenged me as a preacher, as a teacher, because look what 
Timothy says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. So Paul writes, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And this one really hit me, these, ne- these next few phrases. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What if I stand up here and never proclaim Jesus? Is anybody going to get saved? Probably not. But if I proclaim Jesus and is and diligent in that, people will hear the name of Jesus and hopefully follow Jesus. But Paul's challenging Timothy, watch yourself closely, okay? Be an example to the people that you come in contact with. I hope that encourages you too. So when you're in your workplace, when you're with your family, when you're walking on the path on the whatever What's that trail? The, whatever trail that is. When you're walking not next to people, that they see you. You're an example. Okay? When we're on the golf course, Mike, right? We've got to be an example. Amen. Getting those hole-in-ones. Okay? It's coming. But we're an example wherever we are. We've got to be an example. So verse 47, For I delight in your commands because I love them. Like, This psalmist, if you read through Psalm 119, the first word that comes to mind probably is that he loves God's word. He loves God's laws, precepts. That's the same thing. He loves them. And that's where he finds delight. And then verse 48, I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. And, oh, I love the ending. Because it says that I may meditate on your decrees. And I know I talked about meditation before and some people probably like, what is meditation again? What does that mean? Um, How do we do it with God's Word? And meditate means this. Muse, meditate upon, or study. That's the Hebrew word. That's what it means. And then I looked it up in another dictionary, the Vines Concise Dictionary, and this is what it said. And then I'm like, oh, that's me all the time. Okay? To talk with oneself. I'll be in a different room in the house and Kelsey's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, "Uh, no one. (laughs) Myself. But to talk with oneself. And I was like, man, I do meditate on Scripture. Because wherever I am and like a topic hits my mind, I'm talking to myself. You drive by me in the car, you'll see me talking to myself. You'll see me out here hitting golf balls. You'll see me talking to myself. Wherever I am, sometimes I'm talking to myself all the time. And I'm like, man, now I understand meditation on Scripture. I'm talking with myself and God saying, hey, what does this mean? Like, lead me to another passage. Lead me to this. Lead me to this. Lead me to someone to share this with. Whatever it is, I'm talking to myself. 
Kelsey can attest to that, okay? I talk to myself a lot. It's also meditate on divine things, like you're meditating on God and God's works, God's deeds, God's law, God's word. Um, if you caught the word in the meditation, uh, what it means, one of them was muse, and I like this definition, to become absorbed in thought. Absorbed in thought. Have you ever seen somebody absorbed in their thoughts and you're like, they don't even know you're there? You're like, hello, I'm here. What were you thinking about? They're like, oh, that's absorbed in thought. You're like not distracted by anything else. A study means this, and this is real good. If you write this down, you'll be like, man, that's how I want to study. Look it. Study means this, to think about in order to arrive at a judgment or decision. Do we study God's word to arrive at a decision or a judgment? Or do we allow something else to get our conclusion? Like, I need to know this, I'm going to go to this, I'm going to go to that. No, if we go to God's word and actually study it to arrive at a judgment or decision. Another definition of study is sustained purposeful concentration and attention to details. You don't have a preacher that attention to details, do you? I love the minute details of Scripture because sometimes we miss them. We read through it and we're like, just read through it. And then somebody comes to you and says, have you read this in this chapter? And you're like, no, I've never read that. Oh, it's in there. Okay, I missed that little detail. It's attention to details. So, again, what's our takeaway? Put your hope in the living word. And if you caught it, the psalmist in, chap- in verse 43, the second half of that, it says, I've put my hope in your laws. The Hebrew word for hope is this. I'll probably pronounce it wrong. Somebody will tell me, but it's yahal, yahal. That's the Hebrew word for hope. And it means wait for. Wait for. In the Dictionary of New Testament Theology, edited by Colin Brown, he says this about the Old Testament word, Yahal. Hand in hand with confident anticipation of God's gracious dealing goes submission to the sovereign rule of the Almighty. You have anticipation... And you have submission to God saying, God, you're the ruler in control. They go hand in hand. You're anticipating God's gracious dealing and you know that he's in control. That's hope. Romans 15, 4, and this is where the connection, put your hope in the living word. Yes, we put our hope in God's word, but we put our hope in Jesus, the living word. And look at this. This is so cool. It blew my mind when I studied this this week. And I'm like, I can only preach this, it would be good. Romans 15.4 says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Okay? Did you catch that? You got that in your mind? The Greek word 
For this hope, elpis, in the New Testament, this word here in Romans 15, has to do with the unseen in the future. In Romans 15.13, it says this. So right after this that I just read, in the same section, Paul writes this. The God of hope. In Romans 15.13. May the God of hope. And in the Vines Dictionary, the author of that said, God is the author of hope. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. God is the author of hope. And then this brings me to my next article, and then I'm going to bring you to what I thought when I read these two articles together. The, the article I read, the second one, is The Liberating Distinction Between Hopes and Dreams. And this is what this writer said. There is a significant difference between hope and faith. Hope is the craving for a desired outcome. One day I'll feel happy. Faith is different. It's not craving an outcome, but instead a state of belief that all of this is worthwhile. Faith is the belief that you'll experience personal growth and it, from adversity. But after reading that writer, so hope and faith, he says, are different. Faith is, saying, the hope is a craving for something than an outcome. Do we have hope that Jesus is coming back one day? I do. Okay, I hope you do too. But what keeps us going to that end? Faith. In who? Jesus. So watch this. Hebrews chapter 12. It says this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer or some translations say author and perfecter of faith. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And this is where it was cool. And it really hit me. God, the author of hope, okay, the author of hope, breathed this living word into people to write it down that we talked about in Romans that it brings hope. The scriptures bring hope. So God, the author of hope, breathed this out in the, in the language. And then he sent Jesus, his only son, the author of faith. Is that, that blew my mind. Because you have God, who's the author of hope, inspired these scriptures, which bring hope. And Jesus was sent... And Hebrews writer says he's the author of faith. Hope and faith, they're connected. That was cool to me. That bolstered my faith. That gave me energy this week. Tom Frisky, Frisky in his commentary said this, In this life there's no promise that all burdens, trials, and sufferings will be removed but Christ makes them bearable. Remember Jesus said, come to me if you're weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So the God of hope breathed hope into these words. Jesus, the author of faith, died for us, rose again, and will come back. If that doesn't inspire you to go out and live for Jesus, I don't know what will.
Because there's a hope that we need to put in the living Word, not just the Bible, which is living. I know it is. It's active. It's powerful. But we need to put our hope in Jesus, the living Word, who's alive right now, interceding for us. Right? And what do we have to do? Believe Jesus. Repent of sin. Go to the baptismal waters and say, I'm committing my life to you, God. And we're buried in the water just like Jesus was buried in the grave. We're dead to sin and we're raised to a new life. Forgiven of sin. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit give us? Freedom from sin. If we walk with the Spirit. One more time. Put your hope in the living word. Trust that. There's no better hope that there is in life. Pray with me today. God, thank you so much for the scriptures, your holy word. Thank you for Jesus, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross for us. He died so that He could save His people from their sins. I pray that we will trust that, believe it, to follow You wherever You lead us. Help us to do that and follow. Thank You so much for the psalmist and the powerful message that Psalm 119 is all about your precious and most powerful word. Help us to love it and to cherish it and to just continue to seek you daily. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.